Welcome to All Autism Talk, connecting the autism community one podcast at a time. Our show offers a friendly conversation with inspiring individuals in the autism community. All Autism Talk is brought to you by the Learn It family of companies, including Autism Spectrum Therapies, Trellis Services, and Desert Choice Schools, helping all children succeed in school and life. Now, here is your host, Rob Haupt. Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Autism Talk. I'm your host, Rob Haupt. I am vice president over here at Autism Spectrum Therapies, uh, an organization that's been providing ABA services to individuals with developmental disabilities for over 15 years now. Um, Also a BCBA, board certified behavior analyst. And uh, I think today's show is going to be a a good one where I get to challenge some of the uh, the limits and, and, and maybe expand kind of how I view the world when it comes to ABA. Um, but before we get to our, our guest, uh, I just want to share a really cool story. And, and I think one of the, the, the cool things about what, what we do as a field and, and uh, those, those cool coincidences of our community. Um, just got back from, uh, from a trip to Chicago. Uh, AST actually just opened up an office outside of Chicago in the, uh, the North Chicago uh, part of the city and, and in the suburbs. And uh, I happened to be out um, in a, one of the suburbs called Hoffman Estates. And, and we're meeting with a, a great group of providers uh, who are providing just a whole host of services and supports and, and probably most importantly resources um, to families out there who have uh, children with special needs. Uh, and to a group called the Alexian Brothers uh, Health Center and um, was really impressed by them, had really wanted to meet them, really wanted to make sure I knew what they were doing and and share what we were doing. So I walk in, uh, greeted by the uh, the licensed psychologist we were going to be meeting with who does a lot of their autism screenings, does a lot of the the resources and and the work with their patients, um, particularly with uh, families and kids who are newly diagnosed. Start talking and right away have this feeling that, okay, this is this is someone who who knows me, uh, not me personally, but had heard of of AST and heard of uh, what we were doing, uh, and and very quickly uh, we sit down. She shares with me, um, just wanted to let you know, I used to work at AST. I was a behavior interventionist doing the direct care. Uh, at AST when she was living in Orange County, California. And uh, it, it took me a minute, and she shared with me her maiden name, and, it, and I actually remembered her, and I actually remembered uh, her time at AST back in in about 2009, 2010. And it was just one of those really exciting moments to be able to see this person in a whole different city, a whole different state, now doing something completely different. Um, But she was actually sharing with me what she took from her time at AST, uh, more specifically what she took from her time being uh, an ABA interventionist and and how that kind of um, led her down a path and got her involved with uh, helping families and and kids with autism, but in this other side of things, doing the screenings and and providing some mental health services. Um, And so it was just a really cool moment to see how 
you can start on one side of our community and kind of end up on another side. And it got me thinking of other friends I have who started off in a, a therapeutic role and then maybe got into a legislative role. Um, and it's just, it's just a great reminder. It was just, it was, it was actually the, the last thing I did when I was in, in Chicago and just really brought a huge smile to my face uh, just to see difference that we were making, uh, not just from a therapy and access to a family or to a child, but uh, to future professionals in, in the field, and just just really exciting. So today I'm joined by Dr. Lori Bodino. Um, Dr. Bodino has been a practicing clinician for over 10 years, providing services in Los Angeles, California, and abroad. She's a licensed clinical psychologist and a board-certified dance movement therapist. Uh, Dr. Bedino has specialized in supervising, facilitating, and providing treatment for children with special needs and their families. Uh, she's worked as a coordinator for BI programs within the home and school environment, as well as in a private practice for emotional, psychological needs. Uh, she has extensive work both with the adult and adolescent populations within psychiatric, addiction, and pain rehabilitation centers. Dr. Bedino has provided mentorship, supervision, and seminars to students, patients, parents, professionals, and a variety of different academic audiences as well. In collaboration and, and through funding from the Andrea Rizzo Foundation, she's brought dance movement therapy programs to UCLA, Mattel Children's Hospital, and Children's Hospital of Los Angeles, providing therapy at bedside for children with cancer and special needs. Dr. Bedino, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So I'm um, I have a lot of different questions uh, in terms of what you've been doing and, and how your practice has been working uh, for the special needs population. Um, but I thought maybe the best place to start is to just kind of get a sense of uh, what is dance movement therapy? Sure. Um, it's a lot of words to, I find myself saying, but it's um, defined as a psychotherapy sorry, psychotherapeutic use of movement that furthers the social, cognitive, emotional, and physical integration of the individual. So basically, through movement, which is our innate way of communicating, um, this is, since we all move, um, it, it reaches people in all different levels in terms of activity level, um, in terms of language, cultures, and it's the experience of basically being aware of your emotions and your aware of your body and how you're communicating feelings and how uh, disabilities and and your abilities in your environment are manifested, um, it, it gives the child or adult the ability to engage and be aware of their body and kind of help transform the feelings through movement. So you, you mentioned the communication and movement, you know, and I, and mm -hmm. I think about like my ABA behavior analytic mm -hmm. mind, mm -hmm. you know, and mm -hmm. I think of, you know, and I totally get that communication is not always words. You know, we always talk mm -hmm. about behavior as communication. Um, right. But this seems to be like, um, like more of an abstract con concept to me. So when you think about, when you say like movement is communication, are we talking about kind of like uh, body language type of mm -hmm. communication? Is it more of how like we move towards people and how emotions maybe are or, or communication is coming from that? Mm -hmm. So the idea of basically we experience the world through moving. Uh, mm -hmm. Movement can be as simple as breath. 
as simple as the blood flowing in our veins and, and our heartbeat to the awareness of movement around us and space, basically, you know, the interactions we have between people, as well as, you know, physical movement in terms of walking, jumping, leaping, twirling, all the things you think of in terms of movement. Really being aware and bringing to consciousness this this sense of movement um, to help, for, for our sake today, you know, to help the child be um, able to understand what they're communicating, helping the adult, the parent, understand what their child's communicating and helping them to connect together. So um, I often use the example of like assertive, the word assertive, how, you know, and you're talking about ABA, you could teach the word assertive, you could read about it, you could watch a video on it, um, you could um, draw a picture about it. But until you embody it, until you basically go up and say, hey, I would like, or that is my pencil, you know, that kind of thing, or, or go up and say, hey, that's my coffee, I ordered it, that's, you know, it's my name on the cup, those kind of things. Until you actually, like, physically are assertive, um, you don't really know how to be that way. Um, and so it's basically taking these these uh, this awareness um, to the to a, a deeper level. Um, also, we know that children, um, as they're developing with the right hemisphere of their brain, and um, kind of as the integration is happening between the right and left side, that movement is such a, a prominent way of communicating. Um, we know that children. Um, on the autism spectrum, they're often or they're always communicating with their bodies that their their ability to turn away from something that they have an aversion to or turn towards something, those are active choices that they are doing. Mm-hmm. And so to be able to understand those um, that communication and to be able to help match it and relate to it so they feel seen, um, it's incredible what I see in sessions. You, the kids will increase their, their communication skills. They'll actually end up talking more. They'll, their body will feel more regulated so that they can be um, hold attention span further. Um, and then, you know, all, all along the, the problem solving and the communication, the creativity comes out. Um, so you see the, the skills increasing um, when you start with this, you know, kind of that bottom, bottom up approach where you're really looking at working with a child where they are, which is on a body level mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. versus the cognitive level with the brain and talking a lot. And, so um, it, so it almost feels like when you kind of break it down that way to me, you know, because I, I, I don't know much about dance movement therapy. Um, it's actually mm-hmm. something that I haven't – I don't believe I've had uh, many, if any, clients who, who have used it um, just in terms of, you know, at least when they were working with me. So it, it almost sounds more, um, you know, in lines with some of like the sensory integration therapies. Mm-hmm that we hear about where it's more about let's kind of get to the sensory needs that we, we know are so common with uh, kids on the spectrum and really look to treat those. Am I, am I close? Am I, or am I far? Yeah, I, I think that, or I know that a lot of what I do um, crosses over in terms of play therapy. It crosses mm-hmm. into sensory work. I, I definitely work with sensory integration and understanding the individual differences and in profile of a child. Um, and in addition to that, um, there are some really wonderful strategies um, and teaching through dance movement therapy where you learn about their, the ways that we all move as humans. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some really primary ways of moving that we call effort qualities. And basically by understanding the effort qualities, so one example would be time, 
So moving quick or slow. Um, there will be a type of um, a one-dimensional type of movement when there is a rigidity or kind of chaos, chaotic disposition of a, of a mm-hmm. child with a deficit or an illness. Um, and when, the, when an individual is very integrated, we see that you can do both sides of these effort qualities. Um, so as an example, one is time. We have weight. So do you use strength or lightness? And then direct and indirect is another quality. So do you move directly to something or away? Uh-huh. Um, and so what I do is, like, I mean, there's many different strategies, but um, just as an example, by understanding and supporting the child to be able to reach both sides of these kind of polarities in movement, um, you're able to join them so they can feel supported and seen, so they can be mm-hmm. success- successful as competent growing little beings. Um, and then also you can support them to to kind of reach both sides of these um, movement qualities so that they can function and respond to the behavioral, you know, skills and tasks we want them to perform. Mm -hmm. Um, I also find that it's very effective to understand when there is a difficulty between a parent and child. So basically the parent has an expectation that child's not meeting it, let's say, and we have these goals, maybe more of a behavioral goal, helping the child to follow those skills. Um, if the parent can be aware of their own body movements and their timing and their uh, that nonverbal communication, then those skills can be more effectively um, instilled. So it just kind of adds on. It's a complementary part of this whole process. So I'm going to go back to the um, the effort movements that you were talking about mm-hmm. because sure. like when I when I you first mentioned time and weight and I'm thinking and you know I'm thinking to myself. Some of that to me is like a very abstract thought. You know, there's mm-hmm. there's the concrete aspect of time, which is you know a clock, and and I think mm-hmm. to working with kids with autism and kids with special needs, and I think about you know teaching someone to tell time is more of a concrete skill, but the concept mm-hmm. of time feels more abstract, and to really get down to this this concept of time and, and how we kind of break it down. Uh, into these, you know, sub steps along the way to get there. You know, it's a it's a process. It takes time. Um, so I'm curious, like maybe can you go into one of these like effort movements and maybe break down a little bit, like because it feels like weight and time. It, it can get so abstract. So how do you guys like break that down? Like what are some of the mm. like what what would what would a, a potential activities look like or or things look like in terms of how someone would go about um, having therapy to to work on these things. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the wonderful part of this type of therapy is that um, there isn't a one-size-fits-all or kind of uh-huh. cookie-cutter approach, um, which I feel like is very beneficial because parents, um, in terms of generaliz- generalizing a skill across environments and maintaining it over time, that uh-huh. when I find a strategy that works that's very geared towards that individual child or family, it will mm-hmm. more likely be accepted in for the long term. Um, versus yeah. trying to like instill something and say, hey, this is the strategy, this is the approach we're doing, and you're going to learn right. it, even though it doesn't fit. Right. Um, so, with that said, it's really about joining the child where they are. Um, and and I know that if we think about our children on the spectrum, or even you know neurotypical children, um, yeah. they you have a quality, a type of movement that you prefer. So, for instance, when we're talking about this abstract. Concept of time. Um, we can imagine a child that enters the room very quickly, 
moves mm-hmm. about very with a faster pace. So yes, mm-hmm. we maybe we can measure it and say that child, there is still another child that might move even quicker. So then mm-hmm. maybe that child seems slower than the other one, you know. But just in terms of that quality of like, what is there in general? You know, you're trying to have them perform a task and they're sitting at a desk, but they tend to move very quickly and rapidly. So they're not performing the task successfully. Um, because maybe the task is about threading a needle or writing with a pencil or whatever that task may be, um, putting on their shoes or eating their food, whatever they're, that they're working on. So, yes, we can try to just teach them the skill of whatever we're asking them to do, but if we look at it from a movement perspective and say this is their preference, it feels comfortable in their body and they have this um, ability to move quickly, mm-hmm. then we can really find those skills and move with them quickly to eat maybe, um, and then we will try to support them to kind of slow down the pace. So we're, you know, in my, in my work, it's, it's been successful to really join the child and really emphasize this is a skill. Quickness, for instance, moving rapidly could be really effective. Of course, um, instinctually, if we were going to touch something that was hot, you'd want to move quickly away from it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. In certain sports or certain activities, sports, yeah. you could be, yeah, quick. Um, I think, uh, you know, I can go on forever with examples of yeah, sure. time. But then, you know, like, yes, threading a needle, holding an egg, um, being cautious around other kids when there's a lot of people around you. These are things you might want to be more sustained with and, and move quite slowly. So the idea of helping them to join with their idea and celebrate it and say, yes, this is a good quality. Like if they weren't, mm-hmm. if they could not move quickly, I do work with children with um, cancer and terminal illness. And, you know, yeah. some of the kids aren't physically at this moment moving quick at all. I mean, again, mm-hmm. I know it's this abstract co- concept of like, what does that mean, quickness? But, you know, they tend to be sedentary in bed. Um, yeah. So when I see a child on the spectrum, let's say, who is moving quickly, I don't want to say, no, that's wrong. You have to sit still. I want to say that's a great quality to have in these activities, X, Y, Z. And now also we need you to move this way. Um, and so... Um, so supporting that those abilities to see that all these skills are wonderful skills to have, and there's so much potential in all of them, but help to know where they're using it in all their different areas. Um, and with dance movement therapy, it's less about me telling, trying to teach them something or trying to get them to move a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes when I think of dance movement therapy, it gets compared with like physical therapy or occupational therapy and, um, what I see that's different is that I don't have a set criteria that I have to do. Like, okay, we're going to do these six, six exercises. Um, but organically through the session, the, the movements being observed, the child's communicating through their body, and we're working on tasks by joining and being aware of how they're moving and how, they, how we can kind of shift and move into other qualities, as an example. Um, the other exciting thing about what happens with movement is it's, um, I'm, I'm coming to realize that it's something that you really have to observe. But when the child is given the ability just to explore through movement, whether it's just kind of putting on music and moving around or um, kind of let's say, for instance, we're marching, okay? Mm-hmm. And then I say, it looks like we're you know, marching. I'm wondering where we're going. And the child says, we're going um, in the jungle. And all of a sudden, we're taking a journey through the jungle, but actually not just talking about it, but we're exploring with our bodies in this whole pretend way. Mm -hmm. Um, The feelings come out in the movement, and they express their feelings. Mm -hmm. And 
always, when I see this, the movement and the emotions that come up mirrors the experiences they're having in life. So guess mm-hmm. what? Now we're in the jungle and we met an obstacle and things are really difficult and our feet are stuck. And now we feel like, you know, I can imagine mom just told me this story about how we felt stuck today in class because the teacher gave us a hard thing and we didn't mm-hmm. know what to do. And the child is not telling me the story at school, but they're telling me about this journey through the jungle. The same themes are coming up. And together, by resolving it through this movement and play, we are able to have the tools to then go into school and the next time realize, like, I know what it's like to get unstuck, as an example. I'm curious. Um, oh, sorry. Yeah. I'm just kind of <laughs> curious. The, the, you know, because I'm... I, I totally get what you're describing, and um, mm-hmm. you know, and then I can see there being a really cool pretend play aspect to it as well, where mm-hmm. you are, you know, imagination is such a critical thing for kids, and you know, it, it, and to me, I think imagination is oftentimes kind of this, you know, you think about play and you think about pretend play and imaginative play and how it connects kids, and so now you're starting to do these imaginative games and activities, um, but I wonder is um, do you ever get into any barriers with uh, kids who are scripting? Um, just, mm-hmm. just from my experience, with so many of the kids we work with, you know, one of the one of those early steps when you go into the pretend and imaginative land is, um, mm-hmm. yes, you definitely get some of the. This is kind of ha- what happened earlier in my day or in these other environments, but sometimes you get sure. the the scripting of what I just saw on TV, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm mm-hmm. just curious: does that create barriers or? Is there, uh, are you able to then kind of turn that in a, in a different direction? Yeah, so I think that it comes with the um, experience of the clinician to be aware yeah. of knowing the difference between scripting and, and, you know, real kind of organic themes that come up. Yeah. Um, and in my experience, similar to like STEM behaviors, um, the child is connecting something familiar or something, a need. So they might mm-hmm. go to something preferred in a time mm-hmm. where, they're trying to communicate something. So there, there can be, again, it's really, you know, case dependent, um, but there can be a link. So they tend to bring up, um, you know, Dora says, where's the map or whatever, when right, we're doing, right. you know, they might say something um, that is somewhat related to looking under. And I think semantics are so important to look past the words to the meaning behind what does that phrase mean to them? Mm-hmm. Um, is it something like they're saying, I need comfort right now? Is it just that they're going towards that script to say, I need comfort? So then how can I use that in the session to provide comfort? So maybe we go back to something more familiar in terms of our um, session, something they're used to. Maybe we've gone too far and they're not sure what's happening next. And so maybe I go into looking at like what our schedule is for the session. Mm-hmm. Um, so is it about comfort? Or does the script that they're saying have to do with something they're scared of? Like do they bring in some context about, SpongeBob or, or, you know, the trains and how mm-hmm. they got scared. So really looking at what the feeling sense is behind those words and helping mm-hmm. to engage with that um, versus saying, you know, don't say that or, or that's not real, but really looking at what is the purpose of that phrase that came up right. um, and what's the feeling underneath it? What, what was, what did, how did that help them that they had to, they said that. Um, and the second piece to it is, Again, it's kind of a testament of movement because it's so 
natural and innate for us to be movers. And because the kids tend to be movers, and again, moving doesn't mean that they have to be the kid that's running and jumping. It could be that they're just breathing and they're postulately turning away or they're shrugging their shoulders right. or their heads down. Because they're in their bodies and their disorder, um, that it, it tends to be more comfortable and the scripting can be um, less because it's they're showing it. So even if they're saying it on their they're repeating the same words, their body's communicating something other. So they might be seeming like, um, I, I kind of give it this analogy of like the record and it has a skip mark on it. And every time the record turns, it goes back to that skip. And so they mm-hmm. kind of state that, that phrase, like a skip. Um, mm-hmm. They might do that, the skip mark, but this time their quality in their body might look different. So the phrase, if we were just looking at the words, might be like, oh, this seems like we just heard this. But if I look at it with their body, it might be telling you something different now. Um, and I, again, I am hearing myself say this to you, and I, see, I hear the abstractness of this concept. Um, no, so no, it's, it's just one of those things of like in that moment of just really being with that child in that place and seeing that there's a meaning behind that, what they're choosing to say. Because well, they also have the choice to not say anything, um, which well, I, we know that can, we can do. And, and so that's that kind of ties into what I was going to ask you next is because yeah. as I as I listen to you and I think about this, it, it's got this, um, you know, the approach, although you, you hear movement, you hear dance, um, and you immediately mentally go to the physical, um, <clears throat> you know, there's clearly a, 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 a pretty important verbal piece to this. <clears throat> and I was <clears throat> curious how critical – from a, prerequis- a prerequisite point of view, um, is the child themselves being verbal, um, and can it be used with a nonverbal um, individual, and then how does that impact uh, the approach, if it is? Sure, yeah, absolutely. Um, just to start off, the child can be nonverbal. Um, I, I have a wonderful case study I can quickly share with you about just an example of the nonverbal. Um, so not a prerequisite for them, definitely, you know, a prerequisite for the therapist, uh, for my work. I, I yeah, do a lot of narrating, right. you know, like talking about what I see. I also support parents. I think it's a fantastic strategy uh, for parents. It's probably my, maybe my number one cookie cutter. If I had to choose something that's like a go-to, um, it would be for parents to narrate what they see. Um, I think sometimes it's difficult for a parent to move like they're, I mean, not necessarily move, but like do what the child's doing exactly. Um, and maybe their agenda, the parent's agenda might be different, um, in that moment. So by narrating, it just really allows the parent to kind of get into the, the experience of the child and see it from their perspective, as well as letting the child know, I see, I, I see you, you know, that kind of thing. So the talking part is important to me, um, to support the child and the family. Um, the nonverbal child, um, again, this is just my experience of it. It's incredible that through the movement, as the brain starts to, you know, cross midline and, and have these experiences, the language does tend to happen, even if it's just sounds or grunts, you know, those kind of things. And then the one, one word, but, um, that the child is communicating nonverbally. Um, I, um, one of my kind of beginning uh, cases, I actually ended up doing my doctoral, uh, dissertation on her, uh, was a case presentation of a child who was nonverbal. And by joining her, I use this analogy of like a castle, by joining her in this mm-hmm. parallel play where we would move similarly across the room, um, 
she eventually moved up through these kind of these stages. So basically moving horizontally like a child does when you're, um, she moved in that kind of pattern in our, in even our relationship was kind of horizontal side to side kind of play, which you typically see in, in development. Mm-hmm. And then basically as she got more comfortable and safe in the environment, we move in over time, she moved more vertically. So she was standing, she was asserting her ideas. Um, she started kind of pushing things towards me um, and, connecting in the world. Um, and then this, this sagittal, which is this back and forth that happens with relationships and intimacy. She started seeking me out for contact, for sharing, um, for going away from, you know, if she didn't like mm-hmm. something. So basically through these levels of these, there are planes of movement, um, the communication increased um, and she mm-hmm. was able to move through these relationship patterns that we see in development. You know, I I listened to the, that case study, and it's, I think it's a really great. It, it actually is really helpful because I actually can start to visualize more and mm-hmm. more of like what what it looks like, and it, mm-hmm. it kind of gets me thinking about like these critical concepts that we all talk about from a you know critical skills that kids need to develop. You know that we want to instill in kids with autism. Like I think about there's got to be you've got an imitation piece to this. Mm-hmm. You've got mm-hmm. a following instructions piece to this. And I don't mean like a, um, a, a straight, like rigid following instructions, but like there's got to be that back and forth where you're presenting mm-hmm. options and they're making choices. Right. So choice making becomes a part of it. Following certain instructions in terms of what, of this flow, this narrative. Um, and, it, it seems really like, you know, it, it feels like we're, like we're all kind of working on these critical areas, like whether you kind of take this ABA approach, whether you're trying to take a dance movement therapy approach, an OT approach, like it, it still seems to come back to these universal things, these universal kind of concepts um, and that, you know, it's just like another way, like you're just trying to take it mm-hmm. and, and approach it from a different perspective. Um mm-hmm. The, the thought that came to me as, as I was listening to the, the case study is, um, and it kind of ties into my previous question, is um, does it work well and are there any limitations to, um, I'm thinking of that, of that, that student, um, if they had like a, um, an iPad, like a voice output device or PECs, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. can that like work and get embedded naturally into what you're doing? Because that's such a big part of the, the communication that's out there. I think with the iPad technology, we see that more and more. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, I, I, th- I, you know, I want, I believe that everything can be a, a co- collaborative approach and, yeah. you know, and really supporting the whole family and all the different therapies and all the different resources we have. I kind of feel like the more the merrier in terms, if, if we're all collaborating, <laughs> if we're all yeah, you know, totally. on, the, on the same page, obviously. Um, so, I, you know, I think there are opportunities. Um, I imagine it can be a hindrance if the child is only sitting in front of it and nothing's being observed of their bodies because we want to make sure that we're having interactions and relationships um, with sure. people um, and with our environment and our awareness of our own bodies. Um, um, I remember... Well, I, it, uh, yeah. I was going to say, I could also see it being a little bit hard to like get a flow of movement when you have to stop and type, you know, to be able to type in the... Um, you know, um, uh, a statement of, you know, yes, now we're in the jungle. You kind of have to stop, type, 
have that voice output device maybe set, okay, now we're going to be in the jungle, and now you have to pick up the movement again. Like, that's right. why I was right. kind of curious. Yeah, so, so yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the great thing that I also enjoy about this, this work is that there isn't a, a right or wrong way of moving. So, again, yeah. it could just be sitting and observing that as they're typing about something. So it can be as much as, like, every time, I mean, I know this is not necessarily this type of child with a device, but every time I talk about or this feeling comes up, my shoulder raises a certain way or my body mm-hmm. shifts a certain posture. Um, we all have patterns of how we interact with our experiences and, and where we hold these things. And it's not a set science that every time someone shrugs their shoulder, it means the same thing, but it will mean the same thing for that individual child. Every time I do this, it means that for me um, in this moment. So, so they could sit in front of a computer and still be, I still would be looking at the body and supporting them mm-hmm. to be aware of what's happening in their body. Um, I had a child that I worked with um, as an example where we did lots of movement and really engaged and explored through play and in learning different tasks and, you know, whether we were doing a more sedentary activity with a puzzle and we were creating it, but maybe we would, he would he um, would be the type of kid that we kind of, ebb and flow from activities, kind of not really wanting to sit in one place. Um, So we would Mm -hmm. make it purposeful. So we would run away and then we'd run back and put the puzzle piece in, that kind of thing. Um, Mm -hmm. All in all to, uh, to gradually shift into just sitting, you know, it was, the goal was to be able to sit. And um, he's the type of kid that in the long run, I I remember um, getting told the story of he was doing all these things at school and he had this assistive technology and he wrote to the teacher, the teachers all thought he wasn't listening or something like that. And he actually, one of his first phrases he wrote was, I'm just testing you. Uh, And they thought this is a child who never communicated and he was very intentional. And it was one of those, those stories where you feel like he is so purposeful. And if we acknowledge the nonverbal and saw it as he's making choices, how he was, really knew he knew what he was doing and then when he was actually given this technology that just aided him in ability to express like i know what i'm doing and this is funny um and so it was that combination of being aware of his body so he could even articulate hey i know what's happening here that was really neat i'm curious you know the um and and i kind of want to get away from the approach for a second and actually just talk a little bit more about you um, yeah. I, I think it's really uh, unique, and maybe this is uh, me being very naive, but I think mm-hmm. it's really unique that um, you know you have this dance movement therapy background, um, as well as you're a licensed clinical psychologist. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I have not, like I said, I haven't really worked with with dance movement therapy uh, programs mm-hmm. before uh, myself. But I've met a few dance movement therapists at just different, you know, autism walks, and mm-hmm. and I don't know mm-hmm. if I've ever seen that combination. Uh, I have to assume it's actually a very valuable conversation uh, combination for you, given mm-hmm. just the way you've described things. I'm just kind of curious, um, did you start with one versus the other, and, mm-hmm. and, and why did you decide to merge these two things? Or, sure, or, sure. or I guess, am I, am I correct even in that you're kind of yeah. merging the two things? Yeah, I mean, I as, a, as an individual, I was always a dancer growing up and very active with sports and, and being very physical in terms of my expression. And, and then I was to have a strong passion for psychology and emotions and the brain. And, um, you know, I, I found the field of dance movement therapy and went straight into it from, um, actually took courses in high school even, but then went straight into it, um, after college and, um, became a board certified dance movement therapist and 
just really exploring this idea that um, again everything is exper- everything is experienced through movement. We are have this body. Um, we can't separate mind, brain, and body. Um, and just how powerful it was in terms of not just words, um, but words and movement, and not just intellect and thinking with our you know cognitive brain, you know that cognition, but you know really embodying it. And it just made sense to me. And I. Even looking back, I realized I was that kid that, you know, I did perform my book reports as a dance. <laughs> you know, I would go up on the teacher's desk, and that was my stage, and I tap dance the, the book, The Pearl. Or I loved learning creative ways to do my homework or, um, you know, just to learn. And, and, and children that I met along the way that had disabilities or illnesses or or friends that had siblings that had things going on, um, we always find creative ways to interact. And I just love the combination and it just made sense. Um, I then came out to California and at the time I love education and learning. So I, I really want to seek more knowledge to understand more about the brain and more about, um, uh, you know, behavioral psychology and psychology in general. And, um, and I, um, and so I wanted to go back and get more of more of this knowledge and go back and get my doctorate in psychology. And to me, um, to be a wonderful clinician is to really understand all different types of people and not just learn it through a textbook, but actually. So to me, dance movement therapy and psychology are the same. Um, that's why it's defined as that psychotherapeutic use of movement. Um, and so it just naturally goes together. To me, I don't think it's separate. Um, when we're a clinician and you're having the, you know, those classic statements of that counter-transference, the feelings you have about the patient the patient has about you, um, if we're not aware of it on our bodies, um, then we can miss a lot of big critical parts of therapy. Um, and so, you know, to me, again, it's, it's, it's one and the same. Um, the other piece I was going to say is I, I do know that the, the field of dance movement therapy has been around since World War II. Mm-hmm. I do know that because of licensing um, in different states, um, a lot of board-certified dance movement therapists are other things, like they might be marriage family therapists or they mm-hmm. might be psychologists. Or they might have called themselves different names. There's all kinds of names floating out there of what people, how people kind of market themselves. Um, and I do know that all their – dance movement therapists all can practice in many different ways. Some people believe in dance for the sake of dancing because of exercise and it supports, you know, increased serotonin. So you feel happy and we know how wonderful exercise is for our our mental health and our, and our body and wellness. And then, you know, I take a very psychological approach in terms of that um, we can transform our emotions and communicate them through movement um, just as a, as a collaborative approach to working with, um, handling these, these issues that come up and successes that come up, I should say. So that's kind of how I got to go and got to those two. Well, yeah, it's just, it's very, you know, as I was listening to you and I kind of, okay, now I see these two, you know, licenses, certifications, how it's, how it's set up. Um, like it actually made a lot of sense. If you've got this movement piece and and I and I like what you were saying before about when we were talking about the scripting because uh, I'm you know, having done this for 15 years now mm-hmm. 
nothing there there's nothing that equals a good clinician you know you can read every textbook you want but uh and you can have you know everyone there but if you, you got to have good people there uh mm-hmm. and i could see how your background in these two different trainings if i'm going to on the one hand analyze the movement of someone but on the other hand i need to kind of get into this emotional side of things um i i could see how both of these trainings could really work well for you based upon the way you were describing your approach. Like they, it really made a lot of sense of, of like you. why you would go down the path for those two. Yeah. Um, you know, still, still kind of learning it all. Cause again, like, you know, it, th- there is that abstract piece to it, but it, it really, mm-hmm. um, you know, coming into talking to you today, you know, my initial thought was, you know, again, thinking of dance movement just on mm-hmm. a, uh, not on a autism point of view, not even on like a, not on any point of view other than just like what comes to mind. It kind of, it, it struck me as, um, it really made sense, uh, your work to me right off the bat in terms of maybe working with cancer patients or maybe working with some people with some different, um, uh, some, some other needs. Like, and I, I equated it to my own, uh, use of yoga where it's something that, um, like I, the point you made about even breathing is movement. Mm-hmm. Like I, mm-hmm. I totally get that. There's something right. about finding that breath and, and getting that and how it kind of helps, uh, you know, being in touch with my body and in touch with my breath helps me then kind of self-regulate myself a little bit better um, right. and kind of cope with different things. Um, so like coming into well, this, I was, that was my sense of dance movement and I didn't quite get that application to the world of sure. autism, but I see yeah. that there's the your the way you're trying to bridge it is that that play piece, that interactive piece, and and really uh, I think I'm starting to get how you guys are looking at communication. Mm-hmm. And you know what's so exciting? I mean, every day it gets more and more exciting. You know, our our culture is really diving more into mindfulness work and there's so much research about mm-hmm. now mindfulness changing the brain and and you know even neuroplasticity and um I'm going to big conferences with you know scientists and doctors and they're talking awesome. about creativity and movement and these are things that have been going on for you know many many years but now everyone's starting to say hey you know I joke and say like this 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 fluffy stuff this movement stuff right. is actually it's it's the stuff it's it's real it's great um it works um you know and we we want our children to be empathic we want them to be able to follow directions we want we want all these things for them um but we also know that they are so strong at communicating with their bodies and mm-hmm. um we we know that connection is important and that every every child's trying to figure out connection and, and trying to seek connections and um so again what better way than to meet them where they are we're on that body place um at least to acknowledge it or or collaborate with it um you know to bring it into the room and say hey this is this is significant um and um i'm, I'm just kind of curious cuz you kind of sparked a, a thought, and this is kind of broader than it's a broader thought than just um, than just a child with autism or a child with special needs. Uh, you know, and I was just thinking about kids in general, and I, and and listening to you, and and the you know the thought that sparked to me is that um, you know I think sometimes about our our kids with special needs, and and I have a a long time. Uh, uh, client, and, and at this point, he's not even a client. I just, 
you know, at this point he's more of a friend than anything else. And he, um, you know, when he was younger, we realized he wasn't getting a whole lot of physical activity. Uh, we really worked hard at getting him exercise. We realized that just having uh, more regular exercise was a really good way to self-regulate. And mm-hmm. we started talking about it as a family and as a team, the idea of, you know, most kids with special needs are not getting exercise. And then we started talking about, hey, most kids today don't mm-hmm. get the same degree of physical activity versus, mm-hmm. you know, me as a kid. And then, you know, I think of my, I, I listen to my dad's stories going now a generation back further. I, he lived on the streets of New York. I mean, those kids were playing on the streets all day long, running, playing, doing sports, doing activities, boys, girls, didn't matter. Um, and I wonder, is part of the, the research that you're talking about, some of the, the, this growing interest in what you're doing, is there any correlation to just, you know, we as a society are becoming a little bit more of a mm-hmm. uh, technology stagnant, yep. yes, thank you, sedentary mm-hmm. yeah. society versus right. where, you know, um, you know, the eight-year-old is more likely to be playing video games than playing mm-hmm. out in the yard. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. that is, is there anything to that? I'm just kind of curious if you have any, I don't know, if yeah. I'm on to something in your, in your experiences. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I work with many families that come in and say, you know, help me. I, you know, my kid's always on the iPad, and we, we gave them an opportunity to, and now we don't want them on it. And how do we, you know, how do we make this work? And it is part of our culture. Um, it is yeah. part of, you know, what everyone's doing, and there's, there can be wonderful things they can get from it. Um, you know, I, I think everything in moderation is a good good uh, place to be. Um but also that we expect them to read social cues and read people's facial mm-hmm. expressions and why aren't they listening when we told them to get up, it's time to go. And, and all of a sudden, but their body is sedentary looking down at the screen and, and then, um, you know, there's so much research about what's happening in their brain when they're, when mm-hmm. they're, there's a reason why they're triggered to keep wanting to do more of it, what it's mm-hmm. activating. Um, and so um, certainly to bring, whether it is as, as simple as the awareness of what is my body doing, what's my gut feeling in my stomach, and what's my heart feeling like, and what's happening in my brain when I'm playing these games, just, again, that integration, that ability to say, like, I know what's happening in my body, and now I know that I need to get up and move. Mm-hmm. Um, or when do I seek out those devices? You know, is it because I'm, you know, bored and don't, I don't have that creativity piece? I don't know what to do right now. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I'm worried about what, what it does look like when I run out of ideas. Because um, we know kids used to make up, you know, when you think about when you're talking about your dad and being out on the, on the street and you could spend hours with, you know, just nothingness and just playing oh, yeah. endless ideas. and. Um, you know, I, I love reading books about like innovative kids and what makes someone innovative is that ability to take the the quote nothings and make them into something. You know, the kid that can can be creative and use their bodies to figure things out. Yeah. Um, so certainly, you know, that's something that I want to explore with parents um, to support their child to use those downtimes to you know be able to just sit with their bodies and figure out like what do I do? How do I handle this? How do I how do I move navigate through these experiences? Because we know that being creative and hands on, um, you know, being in nature is part of it. You know, being more you know aware of the surroundings and experiencing things is how how we learn. Um, and how we can be exceptional and be the kid that can um, survive all the challenges that are out there um, that they're not getting if they're just behind the devices all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, yeah, it's definitely I, a part that comes up. 
Well, I, I was going to say, you and I have actually just been chatting away, and we're actually out of time. <laughs> so uh, before before uh, we have to to go, um, anyone out there who's curious about you know what you're doing, how to learn more about what you're doing, uh, you know, how can they find you? What where where should yeah. they go? So um, my website is uh, pretty easy. It's my name. So it's um, www.doctor, so D-R, and then my name, Lori, L-O-R-I, Badino, B-A-U-D as in dog, I-N-O, dot com. And on there it leads you to my email, which is therapy at drlorybadino.com. Um, I also love the foundation that brought my work to Children's Hospital and Mattel UCLA Children's Hospital is the Andrea Rizzo Foundation, and their website is Drea's Dream, so it's D-R-E-A-S, um, D-R-E-A-M, um, dot org, so dreasdream.org. And you can learn more about dance movement therapy as well as, um, you know, there is an American Dance Therapy Association to find more about dance movement therapy. And like we mentioned today, there are many different ways of doing this work. Uh, so hopefully if I, I, I love receiving questions and feedback and I'm always happy to talk to someone more about what I'm doing. So certainly email me and, and look, look into my work. Um, I also have some segments, clips, um, ABC news just did a segment on me and I have kind of like a, a talk that I did. So if you research my name on YouTube, there's some clips that come up. Um, so hopefully, um, I can kind of support lots of families. That's awesome. Well, thank you so thank much you. for being here. It was great talking to you and kind of yes, learning more about what you do and and uh, and some of the science behind it. Wonderful. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Bye-bye. So I'm really glad we got to have uh, Dr. Baldino on the show today. The the dance therapy, movement therapy, is, as I said, is something brand new to me, and, you know, and I still – feel like I, I probably have some more things to, to learn and to understand and, 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 and don't quite have a, a clear vision of it. But what I think I really got out of our conversation today is is seeing parallels in, in different therapies and seeing how they can be complementary to one another. You know, seeing how dance movement therapy can be a really nice complementary therapy with ABA or with OT and and I, and I think it just points out more and more how important it is for us to know about other therapies. Uh, so when we do partner, we're able to really create that collaborative effort. And uh, I really just love that I got to create that and, and that understanding now with, with something new um, that clearly, you know, is having great impact on lots of different people with lots of different diagnoses and lots of different needs, uh, far greater than just, just autism. Um, so I think that's really, really cool. Um, as always, questions, comments, thoughts, love to hear from you guys. Uh, more info at autismtherapies.com. Uh, I know everyone seems to be more into Facebook than anything else, and, and we've gotten a couple of really great comments and, uh, and questions uh, just in the last week that have been really interesting, and, and I really appreciate uh, all of them. So, so please keep them coming. Um, until next time, have a great week, have a great weekend, and uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Take care. We hope you have enjoyed today's episode of All Autism Talk. 
For additional information and resources about autism, visit www.learnitsystems.org backslash family. Know an inspiring group or individual we should talk to? We would love to hear more from you at more info at autismtherapies.com. Want to hear more? Listen to previous episodes at www.allautismtalk.com. All Autism Talk, connecting the autism community one podcast at a time.